and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelien, the mindfulinvestor.net. I'm here with my co-hosts, Glenn, glennsutherland.com, and Darcy, darcywhite.ca. Uh, this is if you want to, um, you know, get in touch with us. So today we will be discussing how to sell. Uh, it's, uh, Ari, you never mentioned your own website. Yeah, the mindfulinvestor.net. You're welcome. <laughs> That's it. For all subscribers this week, they're giving away a toaster. So if you subscribe this week and get a two-slice toaster, folks. I have a newsletter. Yeah, that's true. And uh, <laughs> an edition coming out soon. So feel free to email me or contact me through my website if you want to be added. Thank you, guys. For I want to be added. So I just I have to send you an email to add get added to it? No, no. Now that I know, I will add you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Every season, we love its newsletter. Okay. So the, Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> huh? Sorry to cut you off. No trouble. So the, the topic for today is uh, how to sell. And I thought uh, one of you could get us started. Maybe, maybe Darcy? Yeah. Well, this is a, when I saw our topic list, uh, folks, our process is this. Our uh, pitches a bunch of different topics. And then we kind of go, yeah, no, mm, I'm not sure. I was excited about this topic when he posted it and went, yes, right away. Because it's right where I am at. We, um, you know, long-term listeners will know that we sold uh, buildings in Southern Ontario on May 4th of 2021. That was a 16-month process to get to that point. And we are now uh, May, June, July. We're recording this just at the end of June. We're 14 months post-sale, and I'm still working on the sale. So that gives you a relative idea that this isn't just like selling a condo, a single freehold condo or strata held condo rather um when you're talking about this level of selling things there's a tiny bit of complexity involved in there and to quote hamlet uh the readiness is all preparation the farther back you can prepare for sale the better shape you're in i did put down what does that mean what is that sorry to cut you off well yeah no it's good it's, it's good to clarify um um you should purchase like this you know the old axiom that the the money is made on the purchase it's totally yep. true. The sale is set up by the purchase. Um, I made a couple of mistakes. One, I thought that I was going to be like a buy, hold, forever kind of guy. Um, in an earlier podcast, when we talk about dead equity and that stuff, go back and prowl through there and see why we didn't or reasons to sell. We're not going to get into that now, but if you're in the process of selling, I thought I'd hold forever, but there's good reasons to sell. And sometimes you're not ready. Um, being ready to sell is sort of, I would say you should be constantly ready to sell. Um, to quote my friend, Justin Curry, if crazy money wants to buy, you better be in the business of selling. Um, you know, that's, mm. you should be selling that if crazy wants to buy. And we've just seen a massive run up over the last 16 months. It's tapered off. Now we're in June. You might hear this recording, I think in early September, but in June right now, things have cooled off in, in Ontario and the 905 and the 416 and, you know, pretty much in Vancouver 604 as well and all our other associated prefixes. Um, the first thing is you plan to sell a long time before you sell. You can't fix your balance sheet. You can't fix your properties in the time it needs to sell. When someone comes knocking on the door, whatever warts your property has, whether it's in the structure of all the holding with the partnership, with your balance sheet, with your tax situation, or with your property itself, you got a leaky roof, your boiler's not clean, um, whatever properties are there, they're there. So you need to be ready to sell long in advance of sales. Um, the second thing I would, I would throw out here, and I don't want to take all the bandwidth on this, engage experts. There's, if you're good at what you do, 
you're probably not great at tax structuring. Unless that's the thing that you bring to the partnership and then you're not very good at baseboards probably. None of us have 10 tools in our tool belt. You'd be crazy to try to do this on your own. Flat out, you need to engage experts in this. And if you're in the process of readiness for sale, the moment you have the thought in your mind, you know, like the athlete that plays and plays and plays, like Cal Ripken, 21, 22 years playing um, third base for the Orioles. Yep. When he was, when he's, I think it was in his, uh, his speech when he said, when he finally knew it was time to go, it was time to go. And some guys overstay their welcome. When you have the thought that it's time to sell, your body, your business is telling you it might be really time to consider things. There might be something to that. At that point, you should have experts engaged. You should be talking to your tax people, your lawyer, your accountant, how to figure that out, and your partners especially. Engage them beforehand. Um, and the third thing I would, I would throw out there, and this is relevant for me, control your expectations and emotions. This is a big, big process, and it's not going to close in 60 days. It's going to be hairy. There's going to be things that go different directions. Um, Guys, you could fill that in from your experience. When we sold a portfolio of 11 buildings, um, it was a long process of selecting the representation, of repairing, looking, you know, putting the package together. It took months to get that ready. Um, you know, we're in a rising market so every month that looked better and better, but you're in a falling market and trying to sell. And the time it takes to put together a compelling package and get all your ducks in a row could mean that your value of your building is sliding while you're doing it. Um, Maybe I should ask a question on that because yeah. I was under the impression that the broker built the package. Well, they don't have any photos. They don't have access to uh, buildings. They don't know how old your roof is. They don't have warranties. Um, you're putting together. A, yeah. We, we filled a G drive in documentation on the 11 buildings that we put up for sale. Uh, so it was maybe almost like a half a terabyte of documentation of photos and stuff. We probably overdid it. I've never received the same kind of documentation back, but if you want copies of warranty in the last three years service on all our boilers, if you wanted um, anything and everything, it was there. We prepared it. Do you want to do due diligence? We'll bury you in documentation. Um, but for me, controlling expectations and emotions was a big, big deal. Um, you think it's going to be quick. I'm 14 months post sale and I'm still working on the sale. I'm still wrapping up tax things, making CRA filings, getting, you know, you've, you pay the taxes, you get a tax credit back, you recalculate, you take it back to the accountants. And every one of those things you talk about as a step, but somebody extracts a fee out of it. Your accountant, your lawyer, your bookkeeper, and ain't you, you only finally get the final check. So those would be my big, big cautions. I, you know, if someone wants to send us a question about something specific or where they're at on this, I could give you more, but I just don't want to overwhelm our 20 minutes and yeah. Well, the yes. one thing you said was the, the hold forever thing. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you do the same thing with this, but maybe not, but mm -hmm. um, with all my projects, I always, I always have a termination date. So I usually do five years and then a renewal. Yeah. Right. So I, I plan everything for five years because um, I used to plan to hold things forever. And I've, uh, I've learned that I just don't do that. <laughs> I, I thought I was planning to hold stuff forever. And um, even my forever, like, you know what? This house, well, the house before this, I lived there for four years. The house before that, I lived there for like four and a half years. The house before that, I lived there for five years. You know, there were, I planned on living there forever, right? I did all the renovations mm -hmm. and everything else, but um, things change. Things change in your plans. And I'm, um, yeah, you just got to adapt, adapt for all that. Now I've known myself, even my Canadian rental properties, I've sold all those off. 
um, my early properties that I bought um, when I first was going to the U.S., I've sold most of those off. Um, so it goes through phases, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, I do my return on equity and I realize that those are the, the ones that have so much equity in them because I've owned them for so long, right? And that, that I have to make a call if they make sense to refi or unload them, right? Anyway, yeah. kind of off topic, but not really. No, though, but I think it's really relevant. Um, uh, Glenn has said in earlier, and we've discussed assessing your portfolio and where you're at, whether it's monthly, quarterly, or annually, or all of those, like, are we in a position to sell? Should we be selling? Um, should I be considering this? That, those are relevant questions that any responsible manager um, should be asking themselves frequently. Um, you know, some of the words that we like to think of, because we're maybe, maybe you're like me, trying to convince the bank and your partners that you're stable, committed, um, all those kind of, you know, thinking of those as concrete terms that describe you and your mindset. Ari talks a bit about mindset. Maybe you'll come to this. What if you added to stable and committed, uh, agile, resourceful, flexible, that you don't just think of yourself in a couple of terms, but think of these others as well are also relevant terms to your leadership in your business. Agile, that you can move from things to things. You're not concretized in single thoughts, but you're open to other thoughts. You're um, resourceful, that you can change directions. Um, those are good leadership thoughts. Um, they don't make you flaky. It always frustrates me when someone is criticizing a senior politician who's been around like for 20 years and they take up his record from 18 years ago and said, you said this in 1992. Listen, if a politician hasn't changed his ideas since 1992, he probably shouldn't be there. You're hoping that they grow and learn. And you as a business leader should be growing and learning. What was relevant five years ago is no longer relevant. So many things have changed. Um, so, I mean, that's a mindset idea. Ari, what are your thoughts on this? Well, in a mindset, but also yeah. I'll push one extra idea on mindset too. Um, I think we touched on this a few weeks ago was the, the who you are, right? If you say you're, you've been telling people for years, you're a uh, apartment investor and you sell everything, it's all your apartments, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it has a, a mental block mm -hmm. on you. And for me, if I went and sold, I'm, I'm the Canadian investing in the US. If I went and sold my entire Canadian or American portfolio, then I don't know if, if I'd have like a, uh, at least it would it would dawn on me like what what existential crisis who is glenn sutherland please who am i can i still mm. wear this hat <laughs> <laughs> he's rocking <laughs> he's rocking his swag today this morning he actually changed hats during his speaking caught, put on his on that, hat huh? yeah it's nice this so, hat's those hats are available for 60 dollars us through the website <laughs> is that right no there i have the, i have the only ones that uh, that exist but I, I can't, oh, so it's rare. They don't, make sense. they don't make the sense to sell them. They're too expensive to make, right? Because yeah. I got the I got the high quality stuff, so it's too expensive to resell. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Ari. If you had something on mindset or whatever, or I can go into yeah. how well, my this. my approach is more has more to do with mindset because I'm uh, uh, yeah I haven't sold any real estate yet, and um, uh, so and I think um, and the and. I, I was reading some literature about sales and uh, how, how to be a good, uh, how to be good at sales. Because basically everything in life, a lot of things in life, a lot of things in business have to be, have to do with sales. And um, and one of the things, um, and it's something we've talked about when purchasing, when you deal directly from the, with the seller, um, you know, the sales. Um, when, this, when a sale happens, uh, it's very important to, to get some context and understand the why and what's motivating the other party. 
what are their needs what do they want and um and uh, and also try to be a you know some sort of mindful listener uh try to uh, listen listen and hear 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 their needs hear hear their wants and try to address them when you when you when you make your offer um and and that was very clear when we dealt with uh, you know buying from a buying from a seller uh you know listen to what are they worried about paying taxes all at once or would they prefer to uh, that it be spread out over time and um you know and and when you do sales also um yeah make sure the product you're selling is um is uh in the best shape possible that seems uh simple but i think it's uh it's important and yeah, um, yeah these were the, the thoughts i had about selling <laughs> so i i was gonna uh, like i'm i buy in the u.s and i sell mm. in the u.s right mind you i've done this in canada too um the one thing about all of this is when you're a canadian investing in the u.s there's all the American financing, there's conventional financing, there's FHA, there's VA, there's a million different things. And do you know what happens when you're buying? You go, I don't care about American <laughs> financing because it doesn't apply to me, right? But yeah. guess what? When you want to sell, the tides are turned because guess what? You're selling to those programs. You're selling to those programs, the equivalents of CMHC is the FHA and you're selling to those programs and you have to meet the guidelines of their programs. So you do need to understand the American programs at some point. It doesn't have to be at day one when you're buying, um, but you need to understand these when you're selling. Um, when I do my class, this is a whole hour of subject that I'm, I'm going to really skip over, right? I'm going to, I'm not going to talk about the programs, right? Oh no, we got an hour. Let's start. Let's dig in here, folks. <laughs> Settle in, put it on cruise control if you're driving somewhere. <laughs> but there, there is a lot to this, right? Um, so, but um, the one thing that's big difference uh, in the U.S. that I found compared to Canada is the closing costs. A lot of times, the buyers are going to ask the sellers to pay the closing costs when you're selling a property. It is the most common thing ever, and it's because the way the loans are set up is structured differently, where you're paying your points and origination yourself instead of it being rolled into the loan. So these people don't have these stuff saved, and they're going to ask the seller of the property to pay these fees for you. Right. Um, and, and that's just, that's commonplace, right? Um, one tip I have for that is to limit this. Don't say yes. Cause that's, what's going to come in. You're going to have a blank offer. It just says, well, you're, um, you know, here's your price we're offering and all this details and conditions, but we're also asking you to pay the closing costs. You, if it's open-ended, think about how, even when you're setting up a loan in the U S you can go into different loan programs where you pay more points and more fees up front, but you get lower interest rates. If you know that the person who is selling the property is paying all your fees, you're going to go into the most highest fee program so that you can get the lowest interest rates as the buyer, right? So you need to put a limit, a cap on that number. You can, you, you can figure out what it is. I'm not going to go into the details of figuring out what it is, but you need to put a cap on that because otherwise they can go nutty on you, right? Um, so it's one thing to think about. Um, it's really often that they're going to ask for repairs. Um, you know, one thing to think about with the repair requests is who is asking for the repairs? Is it the lender or is it the buyer of the property? And it, it changes your whole negotiation depending on where these requests are coming from, right? Another thing, um, some of these loan programs, they are slow. So depending on which offer you pick, uh, and that's why you need to know your loan programs, some of them they can close in a week. Some of them they close in three months. How fast do you need to sell this? It could be important. 
<laughs> to, you know, depending on what this money's for, if it's going to be moved into something else, depending on what you're picking, you need to pick the right loan program. And sometimes, depending on your urgency, it might not be the highest offer, right? Sometimes it's the, the second highest offer has better financing and it makes sense to take that, right? Because they're going into a program where they're putting down the 20 or 30% so they can do all kinds of things that those 3% down people can't do, right? So just knowing how these, their side of the thing works, right? Um, in the US, people still back out of these things. They, they will back out of their contracts uh, and leave you hanging. Um, the closing date is a recommendation. It is not a firm <laughs> date. <laughs> you could be closing in a week. After that, you could wait until a week after, and then they could ask for an extension of a month, which mm -hmm. happens all the time. It is a recommendation. Um, really, lenders dictate the whole thing, how it's going to go, and you don't really have much say in it. Um, at that point, um, when they get these extensions, it's usually not enough to cancel the whole contract. Right? Hey, can I just add in there? Yeah. If you're purchasing in Alberta, they have an antiquated land title system that must be something like little cards in a box, and they'll publish on the internet part that they use where they have electricity attached to the land titles office and they'll tell you how slow they are but you're going to have to purchase title insurance which is ridiculous because you've already paid two lawyers to check the title but they can't close the title because the land titles office is sometimes four to six to eight weeks after sale or purchase still doing it which also means you can't sign up for automated payments of your property taxes because you don't have title, they don't show it. So you've oh. purchased something and two months later, you still can't show title, even though you've got insurance for it, which costs yeah, $5,000 on a two to $3 million purchase, but it's an additional cost. And these kind of frustrations are implicit in this. If you think everything's gonna be clean, you're not. That's why it's important to think flexible, think resourceful, think sideways because, yeah, or get your teeth into it and hang on because it's usually a wild ride. Sorry, Glenn. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Good. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing, bouncing off each other. Um, and another one I had was um, some of the properties we recently uh, sold, we'd have offers of, you know, multiple offers and they bid it up. Um, and we had actually the one who was willing to pay well over asking, um, then came back and backed out of the contract because they didn't like the deck was a little soft. And we're like, yeah, we could replace that whole deck for five grand. So we will just do the deck. And they're like, no, no, we're backing out. So they will back out on anything, right? Um, and it's usually not the truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> so be prepared for this. And like I said, this, this topic is in a whole hour. <laughs> um, so we're very summarizing this, right? Um, and one other thing to think about, which is different than Canada, that's what mostly I was picking was the, the differences, is um, bidding wars, right? So and it thing, I think things are changing right now, right? Um, because these bidding wars are bidding, still bidding properties up and then uh, the bank is not let, loaning on them, right? Because they don't believe the value. But before, even like six months ago, they just basically would, you still get that mortgage because whatever people were willing to pay was what the value of the property was. Um, but that's starting to change now, right? I've heard some things on Facebook, some lenders and uh, mortgage people posting things about get your appraisals in because the market's going down or could be going down. And I'm going, maybe you shouldn't be buying those houses. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, it, is, uh, it is something to think about, right? Um, and what are, oh, where I was going with this was the bidding wars in the US. So sometimes they bid these things up, right? And the same thing happens in the US, which is always like this, which was is starting to happen in Canada right now. 
is if it gets bid up too much and then it appraised lower, the bank will still only lend up to the, based on the appraisal, right? Not on that offer, right? So um, sometimes you have to factor in your financing programs, your FHA, your VA, your conventional, your cash, and look at them and say, maybe this top one, because they're, even if they're willing to pay way over asking, they may not be able to close on that, um, you know, because the bank has to agree to this which is something that seems a little crazy because you get so excited when the bidding war is happening, but then you, you have to go to your partner and go, I think we should take the third highest offer. And they'll go, are you insane? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why? And you go, yeah. because the third highest offer is going to close. And the, the first and the second might not. They might, mm-hmm. but there's a higher chance they're not. And then if they don't, we're list, re-listing this on the market. And our status has went from active to pending to back on market. And you'll sit there as back on market, which does not look as sexy as no. like uh, a status of being new on the market, right? Yeah, because um, it raises questions. Why did someone else drop it? If they did, you know, would you not buy a Samsung television if you had one bad review? But people will will ghost you on someone. Oh, you're going down a rabbit hole bringing up Samsung televisions. Yeah, that's it. But I mean, would you not buy it for only one bad review out of hundreds? But yeah. one person that does a fade on a property. And it raises all kinds of questions. What did they find out? What's wrong with it? Because people are afraid. It's a big purchase. For most people, it's their biggest purchase. So it's not like a TV that you can replace if you make a mistake. Buyers are, sk- are skittish. They, can, they, they generally pull out. I would say it is everyone's biggest purchase, right? Because sure. even like if I went and bought like an apartment building or a whole portfolio of houses, you know, uh, I'm not putting in the same amount of money as buying my own principal residence typically. Right. No. <laughs> so no, um, I'm typically we're more than a million on every purchase. I mean, yeah. That's, but you that's didn't come lot. up with a million, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, we're buying a four and a half million dollar building. So we're coming up with 1.6. That's yeah. a lot of money. And yeah. you know, if you make commitments to other people, if you're on the buyer side of that ledger, you're going to make sure you're not going to make a mistake. And yeah, we've been in ones where we've stepped away from a purchase just because things didn't smell right. We found a little bit of rot, a little mold, little things that they said were assured were taken care of. They said they had a warranty on a roof that was only three years old and yet it's leaking. What else are they not telling us the truth about? And we bailed and we lost $14,000 on that purchase personally because we had it committed to financing, but just bailed because no way, uh, things don't line up. But, uh, you know, we're talking about selling. So um, if the... The, the person who's buying your property that you're selling, Darcy, has put enough skin in the game, they may just continue to proceed with this, right? Um, they might. Yeah. At some point, you're going to make what we've done that. We've been in the position where is it go, no go. You have an awful lot at stake prior to you know closing. You've probably done 100 hours of your own time or more. You've paid for an appraisal of phase one um, a building inspection report. You've laid down an initial documentation fee and application fee for financing. That's easily $15,000. And so when you're going to sell these, is there, um, uh, is it in your negotiation to try and much to make certain money go hard sooner just to try and get them to be for sure going to buy this? Is that well, a strategy? Yes, absolutely. Your realtor, a good realtor will be assessing the strengths of the other person. And they're having a side conversation because they both want to get paid and both right. of them generally get paid out of the deposit. So if you put down a sad deposit, of, you know, tiny. So if we're talking on the sale, like 
yeah. instance, it's on the sale of a 2.3 or 23 million. The deposit was $750,000 of which 450 came up with the offer. Yeah. That meant the realtors, that was most of the realtors fee was upfront and they knew and they're assessing whether their client has the money and they're holding that. It's not getting interest anywhere and it's sat for eight months. Um, so your realtor, if they're good, they should be assessing the strength of that offer and talking to the other person. Maybe they know them. Maybe it's an out-of-state thing in the U.S. or out-of-province. But they're talking. They're checking. You'll see you'll get hits on your um, LinkedIn account. You'll see activity on your website from other sources if you've got tracking software on it. They're looking at it. They're talking to people. That's going on for sure. Whether they have the ability to close. And the realtor will be asking as much as they can in pertinent questions. What does your financing look like? Do you need a vendor take back? Because they're trying to get you to the seller to reveal whether they have a down payment on this, what kind of financing in the offer will give you some indication. If they're looking for 160 days, then they're probably taking it to CMHC or an insured party or something with process. If they're looking for 30 days, like uh, up here, Main Street closes in 30 days in Canada, which is very compelling. If you want to sell to them 30 days, because they're using cash out of their giant pool yeah. of cash. I'd be very Yeah, but they, they put the financing on the back end. They get it, it get the title transferred, and then work on refinancing. So they're continually refinancing existing properties. That's, a, that's, a, that's very, that's my technique, what I do in the States, only a smaller scale. I yeah. buy everything cash and work really fast and work the financing later, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it, it makes people work with you, even they're willing to take a lower amount because they know that you're going to close and you're going to close faster, right? That's exactly what Main Street does. Bob Dylan will close with cash in 30 days, but you're not going to get the best price. You know he can close. Of course, he's got the money. You can see him listed on the stock exchange. You know he's got the money. You can read their SATA reports, but you're not going to get your best money deal. So sometimes you're going to have to give a little, well, it yeah. might be time or concessions. Remember, the only one with the money in the deal is the seller. you got the equity, so they're going to ask you for paying for everything. As Glenn says, pay all the closing costs. It's going to be an ask in part of this. They're going to ask for you because they think we're giving you $4.2 million. We can see on your title that you only owe 1.6. So you're making a huge payday. Yeah. You've got the money you should pay for it. And we can't see their cards. We don't know what they have. So that's, you know, one of the vulnerabilities of being the seller. So a minute ago, you mentioned vendor take back um, as the seller of the property. When, or is that ever, or would you be open to that to be to open to taking a vendor take back? Um, you know, if your partners were willing and you weren't really needing to sell, because it's not clean. You're going to be tied together with those people for a while and you're vulnerable to whether they can do it or not. Now you might get the property back, but that's going to mean you're going to go to court and it's going to sit somewhere in limbo while the court decides what should happen. Um, that's an awkward situation. If you don't want that uncertainty and you're not willing to, don't do it. There better be compelling, and I'm talking about lots more money, reasons to do a vendor take back. If you think you can get a much better deal that represents risk. So for any reward, a higher per sales price, the risk is you've got, you're tied to another group of people and you're taking back some of that money at a higher interest rate and you're not out. You're not really. So it's out. a motivation. And I think yeah. that plays into certain asset classes like Ari's and to done some mobile home parks mm -hmm. and where maybe I know that financing's gotten better for that, but Ari, you've done, did you do vendor take backs on your mobile home parks? Cause that, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, so they have to have the motivation to do that, right? And it may be that they, they know that people can't 
um, won't be able to buy the place or find the financing as easily, or maybe they can uh, get a little bit more money for their property by offering good terms, right? Price sure. or terms, right? What do you, which way do you want to go, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, that could be a whole other topic. More and more, uh, as, uh, as the asset class becomes more and more uh, popular among investors, it's, it's getting easier and easier to, to finance the mobile home parks. It's not the way it was uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. Out here, they got a lot of really nice ones, and they're actually a cut above because they're quite secure. They're, you can put a lien on the, pro, on, the, on the trailers, seize them, whereas it's just different. It, it's, uh, they actually have a little bit of lower cap rate mobile home parks out here. Sam Zell has a nice, uh, has very nice mobile home parks inside his read. Mm -hmm. Well, Keith, I think uh, we've had a great episode filled with uh, insights about how to sell how to sell real estate uh, in Canada, in the U.S. So thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and uh, hope to see you next week. And uh, as usual, if you want to see your answer, your question answered, feel free to email us at advancedreitalk at gmail.com, advancedreitalk at gmail.com. See you next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.